And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome back to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly delve into the arts, the culture and the community bubbling away in East London, but as always, resonating way beyond. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm here with Jessie Lawson. Hello. Later on, we're going to be sharing some stories from a local storytelling night called Spark. And I'll be taking you into one of East London's most popular railway arches, E5 Bakehouse, for a guided tour. And we have live music from Voltage Black, a.k.a. Ewan Fisher. But first, we have Matt Jenner here with us to tell us about a new community radio station in Thamesmead called RTM, located at an artist space called Taco. Hello. Hi, Matt. Good to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me. So, Matt, tell us... um, you're not, you don't have a radio background. You've decided to do this community <laughs> radio in Thamesmead. It's a big challenge. Why? That's a really good question. Um, I, I kind of wake up most mornings and sort of wonder that now. Um, <laughs> uh, in a nutshell, I'm, I guess uh, radio is like this fantastic cultural platform that's uh, really democratic and egalitarian. Uh, it's really accessible. Um, and we run a a contemporary art space and I'm interested in um, uh, cultural means that allow people to kind of disseminate their production and um, tends me there's a long history of radio uh, we were interested in how can how can uh, uh, how can we work with an artist to to um, re-engage people in radio seeing that there's such a history of radio in Thamesmead. What, um, what is that history? Can you tell us a bit more? Well Thamesmead was one of the first places to to have a community radio station so in 78 uh, there wasn't a community there wasn't community radio licenses and um, uh, there had been the free radio movement uh, prior to that um, and basically the government trialed free licenses and Thamesmead or RTM as it was called at the time um, was one of the first to be chosen along with some other new towns as well which is kind of interesting because Thamesmead is a new town mm. um, and the interesting thing about RTM as it was then was that it uh, it basically um, was cultural production for the for the wider community good so all of its profits got ploughed back into the, into the community um, it supported people with local training um, it gave people a voice. Um, it was a real community radio in a real sense, um, something that we probably just can't quite get our heads around in this sort of neoliberal age. So um, so that seemed really exciting to me, um, especially as it chimes with the, the ethos of TACO, which is the artist space that has set up the station. Um, yeah. So. so so tell us more about TACO. What, what's that? Uh, basic TACO is uh, Tensmead Arts and Cultural Office. We're... Uh, 
as I was saying, it's a project space, an artist project space, and we work with artists to develop projects. Um, and it's led by their research. Um, and uh, we put an open brief to that. So there's no time scale. We let the research go where it goes. Um, and uh, some of those projects are very studio-based or gallery-based, so it might be an artist film or an installation, and some of them are more socially engaged, like the radio project. So we commissioned Sam Skinner, who's a local artist um, and a media artist and uh, an associate of fact in Liverpool, um, to specifically to develop a radio station project. And um, so his interest is, is in the relationship between media and community. Mm. Um, so... Uh, the radio project sort of sits or RTM sits within our program and then when it finishes um, which it will do uh, as an exhibition because it's in, in, the radio station is installed in the gallery um, when it finishes in uh, on the 18th of November the radio station will conti- continue in some form and we're, we will continue to support the, the what we're calling the broadcasting group um, which is about 40 local people um, and we'll continue to support them until that RTM can transition into its own space and become its own entity. Um, so it's like artistic development, cultural development. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of um, initiatives and kind of incentive-led uh, projects to get artists um, to do community work in Thamesmead. That seems to be quite a thing. Yeah, I I, I think this is quite a... Um, this could go a number of ways, this conversation. So, okay. <laughs> um, I think there is, it's a regeneration context and that is quite a sensitive place for an artist to work and for artists to work in. And the artists are often seen as being the front runners of, rege- of gentrification and uh, East London is a typical example of that. Um, and I think that's... We're very conscious of that and I... And I I think we're more interested in in empowering people to to have a voice and change their relationship to um, the environment and the changes that are happening around them. And so I think that's what's so interesting about the radio station is that it's developing a cultural platform that people own. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I mean, I think we're we're interested in, in it definitely from a kind of artistic perspective, but. Um, I wouldn't say it's like community art or anything like that. I think mm. it, it's much more about actually how can we... Basically, I, I, I come from a privileged position. I'm a, I'm a white, um, heterosexual male artist working in the contemporary arts. Um, I have the means to, to be able to do something like this and not everyone has the means. And that's kind of an interesting place to be. And, and I think um, that's also uh, it's an interesting f- way to think about an artist space as well. So have you been challenged in in being in that position um, from, you know, the the people that are wanting to get involved? Because that yeah. often happens, uh, those challenges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, I think there is. I think what's more challenging is there are certain narratives and certain perspectives and you have to. They don't necessarily chime with your own. Um, and the politics of that. Yeah. It can be quite challenging, especially working with people who, and the volunteering and, you know, everyone's doing it for like their own reasons. Or people have like, when you say the word community, everyone has a different idea of what that means. Yeah, and there's no one community. Yeah. So, there's, well, it, so there's a lot of kind of negotiating and um, diplomacy. Hmm. 
So for people who don't know Thamesmead, I think it's quite important to kind of get an, an idea of the context and, and why a community radio and, and what you've been talking mm. about might be so relevant in an area like Thamesmead. Can you give us an idea of, because you live there, um, what it's like, the, a bit of a kind of, just paint a little bit of a picture. Thamesmead of- is uh, it's often painted as failed, a failed modernist kind of idea because of you know when it was built um, it's often um, said that it's unfinished, it's got a lot of brutalist architecture uh, some of it as stock is really old now and um, uh, so you get on the one hand you get people who sort of say it's horrible and then you got on the other hand often people with come from a very privileged place and don't live there who say oh isn't it wonderful um, uh it's also very isolated. So it's a part of London that um, never really got the same um, transport links. That's all changing. Yeah, with Crossrail. With Crossrail. Yeah. Uh, and I would be lying if I said that wasn't why I was there. Like, you know, we moved. To, I moved there with my young family. Um, but with that is coming a lot of change as well, um, and a lot and a massive demographic change. So there's, you know, they're building like 150,000 homes over the next 10 years in Thamesmead. So that's a lot of people. Um, And Thamesmead also has the largest African um, immigrant population in the country. So it's a really diverse place. Um, It's also got very little infrastructure. So there's not like, it doesn't, it has like centres, but it doesn't have a town centre. So on first impressions, it can be quite, it is brutal. Mm -hmm. On first impressions, it can be kind of like, what is this place? And... How does anyone live here? But actually what it does have is this very fierce, strong sense of community and a very fierce sense of identity. Um, People are extremely proud of Thamesmead. Um, It's notorious really because of the Clockwork Orange and that being filmed there. And so it's kind of got this sort of... uh, There's this impression of it as being like a dystopian kind of urban wilderness. Um, And that's kind of not true, really. So who... what? kind of people are getting involved um in this community station and what 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 do they want to do like what what are the ideas that have come through you know the shows yeah. that are, are it's, really, be- it's really really di- a really diverse group of people um it, atypically you sort of think when you do this sort of thing that you're going to get lots of young people and they're going to do and they're going to do their urban music shows and and actually that is just not the case well Mainly, they're not interested in no, radio they're not no <laughs> so i mean there are there are like there's a local music studio that has like is a hub for local talent and um there is a big uh um uh dubstep and grime scene that's come out of Thamesmead and, and that is sort of represented through this music studio but there's also um uh people you know women who have raised big families and have been out of work and, and are now kind of um, you know they're independent now and they're like they're making radio programs and um, making topical discussion shows about their area or making well-being shows there's a lot of talk shows um, there's a lot of music shows which is what you'd expect there's some really great Afrobeat shows that are coming out um, of the station there's uh uh, radio plays, there's field recording, there's, um, yeah, it, it's really diverse. It's a real polyphonic kind of radio station. Um, and it's bonkers, you know. It's yeah, which is complete. what community radio yeah. should be, right? Absolutely, it should be yeah. this kind of, you know, um, complete. And, that, you know, I think that, that, yeah, that is what's wonderful about the whole project. 
Yeah. Definitely. And so you engaged, or I don't know how it happened, you've got a relationship with reduced listening to do some yeah, training. Yeah, let Jesse speak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, so my, I work for a company called Reduced Listening, a radio production company, and we've come and done some work with you doing some training for before right, yeah. the show's come out. Yeah. I was, yeah, my favourite show that's coming out is when there's a guy who's doing it's like Desert Island Discs Ian, yeah yeah <laughs> and he's interviewing his mum and his neighbour yeah getting them to go through their whole lives and choosing the songs to go with it yeah. and it's just so good and you know like he the, the, I think the, the thing is like the journey that he's going on in, in not just like learning how to do that but also his confidence and saying yeah. actually I will do it because originally he was like oh, it's just an idea and maybe you should do it and you know yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. Amazing, yeah. Yeah, and it's amazing. I like. I haven't even worked in radio that long, but it's it was a really big learning curve for me, working out what things people know and what things they don't know, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So I was teaching him about using a recorder, and then I said some interview questions. I said like the who, what, when, where, why kind of classic thing that you know if you do radio or journalism or whatever. Yeah. And he was like, wow. <laughs> and then and then we just stopped doing any technical stuff and just wrote all of his questions together, yeah. and that was really nice. I think it. it yeah, those sessions have been really good and they've sort of given people um, confidence but also a bit of space to think creatively, a licence to think creatively and that's um, and to be creative. Um, and that's not always... people don't You don't always get that permission. Um, yeah, so those workshops were really great for that, actually. And then you had some other more technical workshops as well. Yeah, we've had some uh, a lot of, sort of specific skills-based stuff, um, especially in post-production and kind of... Uh, learning software and that's a real curve and I think what's coming out of that is you know when you start a project like this you you realise that actually you have a responsibility to kind of see it through and to not just see it through to like the exhibition and that wasn't that nice and let's pack up the radio station but actually people have got a real interest and this is really special so um, but they also have ongoing needs in terms of training and support um, and stuff that, you know and I'm not sitting here saying and I know how to give it to them because I actually don't. I actually don't. I know nothing about radio. <laughs> uh, I know nothing about it. So people are learning stuff. I'm not, you know, interestingly, someone said to me today, are you going to do a show? And you know what? I haven't got time. Like, I'm sitting there going, I, I, actually, I'd really love to, but everyone else is getting the opportunity to do it. And I, meanwhile, I'm doing the admin and organising all the stuff, you know. So... Um for people who are curious and yeah. do want to, I mean, it, it will be online, right? It's streamed yeah. live. Um, is it going to be live streamed? or? Yeah, so it's launching on the 19th yeah. of October. Um, it's www.rtm.fm. Sorry, Resonance. And uh, <laughs> it will have uh, it will have artist projects on there. It will have like artworks and um, poetry and, and various other things. And we've invited other people to kind of contribute um, in order to kind of... Uh, make it special in fact um so that's sort of sprinkled throughout i think that's one of the nice things about it that it's a real kind of collage Hmm. of different cultural places where people are coming from different cultural places um yeah and you can it's this it's an online radio station and it will be doing live broadcasting and pre-recorded and also live event broadcasting as well Great. Matt Jenna, thank you thank very you. much. Thanks, for Thanks very much. Oh, and if anyone's listening who has any money to keep the radio decision going, then you can get in touch with me. Yeah, and I will <laughs> gladly take it off you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so next, we're sharing a story from a London-based storytelling night called Spark. Um, most people have heard of The Moth, which is a storytelling night that started in America and now exists in the UK as well, uh, where anyone can stand up and tell a personal story. 
but Spark uh, is kind of like the original math that's been going on for a really, really long time. It's really great. So they've sent us over some rules to explain how the stories come about. The first rule is stories should be roughly five minutes long and they flash a light at four minutes to let people know that they should start ending their story. Uh, but they also don't drag people off stage if they want to carry on, if they haven't quite finished. The second rule is stories have to be about the person telling the story, so you can't go on about your granddad in the war. You have to talk about yourself. And the third is you're encouraged not to use notes or prompts. Um, so we're going to listen to a story, but I just want to, um, as a little caveat, um, it is about, uh, there are kind of, it's about nighttime and it is about drugs. So if that's not your kind of thing and you want to kind of close your ears, <laughs> um, move away now because, yeah, it is, um, there is uh, some sort of, uh, yeah, sort of nighttime content, let's say. Our first story is from Abel. So put your hands together for Abel, everybody. All right, so my story is a story from seven years ago, a time in which I had just arrived in London. And you can probably tell from my appearance, seven years ago, I was roughly 10 years old. Um, So my view of the world was narrow, and I didn't know London. I had just arrived, and everything was bigger and scarier. And I was subletting a room in Camberwell Green, which is, we're going to say it's over here. Uh, I don't understand geography. And then I was invited to meet my friends in Bethnal Green in a flat chair. Yeah, come along. I have this new flat chair. It's really cool. We have this uh, two Australian sisters that are sharing a room and this French DJ that's sharing another room and this is all sort of like lovely and I'm expecting something kind of cool and fly and yay, I'm in London. And so I get there and they live in a shithole, which is fine. You know, I don't judge and stuff and we're like uh, drinking Stella's and um, living it up, you know. And so after a few kind of like joints and beer which is kind of like at the, at the point the top of my drug use everything beyond that is kind of like bad people territory you know young judgmental sort of person and the Australian sisters who are sharing a room uh, are like hey guys uh, this is kind of boring we're thinking of going to a rave tonight uh, do you guys want to come with us and I'm like yeah I've never been to a rave it sounds cool and I imagined you know kind of like partying in a forest and just kind of like going all night and it's great uh and so and so kind of like yeah we're gonna go to a rave we're a small group of people it's amazing so we get on a train and then we get on a bus and then we get on another train and then we walk and then we walk and then we walk it turns out this was in an abandoned factory in zone 17,000 um so have have like no idea where we are and at that point we've been going for like three hours I have no way of going getting home. We're past sort of like TFL network. Um, and we're lost. We have no idea where this place is. We followed for a good while. We followed, um, we followed a group of people that looked like people that would go to a rave. And it turned out they were like comforted in their choices of direction by the fact that they had people following them. They had no idea where they were going either. So we're walking around the streets for hours. Well, what felt like hours? I have no idea. Until we meet an actual DJ from that rave party. It is like, hey, guys, I'm mixing at 3 o'clock. Come with me. It's going to be awesome. And he's like, you can feel he's twitchy and stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's like things are happening. And uh, like the door entrance is, is uh, 
three euros or five euros or nothing much, but some of us are stingy. So he's like, yeah, but don't worry about it, guys. I've got my stamp and I'm a little bit sweaty so I can sort of like give it to you. And so two of us got in for free. And I'm still chuffed, still pumped up, you know, even though we've been walking for so long. And we arrive at that place and it's an actual abandoned factory. We walked so long and we can travel so, so far to get there. And I arrive and the first thing I see on the left is a dark room with people kind of curled up in the dark. This is like bat trip room, basically. And then to my right is the toilets that are basically sponsored by Satan. So, so I'm like, what the f*** am I doing right now? And then we go forward past those two nightmare rooms, and we arrive, and there's two giganormous dance floors, but the only lights are black lights, and triangles of colorful kind of cloth are hung around and the music is exactly the same in both rooms but it's separate songs it's just like progressive trance for the people amongst us who know about that i don't understand your taste in music uh, i because and and see you know still a bit judgmental um so so i'm like what the f- am i doing i'm at the other end of the world at a party of music i hate with people i kind of judge and fear um so, so what, what am I doing? And that's when the, the Australian sisters just go, MDMA! And, uh, and so they have this little bag of MDMA. And at that point, you know, I'm like, oh, I prefer natural stuff and alcohol. But still, I've gone this far. Oh, I have to end. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll try to speed it up. I take MDMA. I have a lovely time. The place is filled with love. Someone slaps Estella out of my friend's hand, not because he wanted to fight, and my friend is really tall, but because he had... No, he slaps a foster out of the hand, and he wanted to give him Estella because Estella tastes better, and they had a hug, and they had never met, and they never saw each other again. It was a beautiful <laughs> moment of love, and we had so much fun. And then I came home... Uh, much later on, after having slept on, uh, like fallen asleep on the sort of like night bus and woken up like the other end zone 70,000, but in the other direction. And I'm like, this is not London anymore. This looks like a very quaint village. And I wait and I like wait for the bus and stuff like that. And the bus finally arrives and I run and I hit my hand on the, my head on the, um, you know, the sign that says like bus 17 goes here because I'm so happy to see the bus coming so I'm like running like a dog that sees the massacre and, whoosh, and finally after a long while I get home and it turns out this room at the flat chair I was subletting a room in had a party that night and so when I um, opened the door to my own room I see a naked male butt just kind of like rising out of the sheets um, like a, like, like a sunrise in the Himalayas, but in reverse. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he's like, who are you? I, this is my room, this is my bed, f*** off. Uh, did, did I sleep here? Yes, you did. Did we sleep together? No. Go away. And, uh, and I had to work that day, so I went to work. It was a pretty good night. So that was the first story from Spark, and we're going to share another one later on. Uh, for a long time, Spark was running out of East London. Um, that's where you heard that's where that story was recorded. But at the moment, they only have a venue in Brixton, and they're searching for a new one in North slash East London. So if anyone knows anywhere that could be suitable, you can email Scarlet from Spark at scarletwrench at gmail.com. That's S-C-A-R-L-E-T-T-W-R-E-N-C-H at gmail.com. 
or get them on social media, which we've shared on our Twitter. Thanks. And yeah, it was it ran for a long time at Hackney, um, Picture House Hackney Attic. So um, yeah, it's a shame that they had to leave there. It was it worked. It was a nice venue. Um, so for something completely different. <laughs> um, so uh, British, uh, Britain's railway arches are being sold off by Network Rail and thousands of small businesses are in danger as the rents are, are bound to be hiked up so much that renting an arch space will no longer be sustainable. I'm putting together a series called The Archers, uh, celebrating the diverse enterprises that are found under the railways. To pilot the series, we grab a coffee and a loaf of bread at East London's infamous E5 Bakehouse. So we've walked into... The, the cafe at E5 Bakehouse. We've got the big Tom Chandley bread oven next to us, which is being repaired at the moment. We've got some big burly engineer floating around on site who's fixing it up. And Mariana to my left, who's the cafe manager. So she's a sort of a, a coffee expert and also manages this big team of baristas that we have who are, you know, always jumping in and, and sort of uh, serving hordes of people who come down for bread and coffee. And then very close just in front of the oven we've got the bread rack so we've got sort of eight different loaves of styles of bread there some with really dark crusts some sort of rectangles in the top right corner we've got the very sort of darkly crusted stockholm loaf and then we've got the the sort of rectangular rye bread with the linseeds glistening on top we've got walnuts and molasses and linseeds inside we've got a barley porridge bread a multi-seed bread a whole load of baguettes jostling for attention the most popular bread we make is the hackney wild so that was the the first one we made and it's a sort of a french style country loaf so we're just walking into the bakery welcome to e5 bakehouse i'm ben mckinnon and i've started baking uh, almost 10 years ago and the bakery sort of evolved since then so you're just coming in to the arch and we've gone past the counter and now we're in the the heart where the breads are being shaped so we've got ed and paolo and kate and lizzie What's going on, Kate? So we're shaping the Hackney Wild dough. When was it mixed? It was mixed at like midday. Um, and then it has a pre-shape. And then it rests for a little while. And then we do this funky final shape on it. And then, so yeah. you've got big stainless steel table. Loads of cane baskets being filled with very sort of bouncy dough. Which is getting rolled in a box of flour and then popped into these baskets and then going on to a, a trolley. And behind the big metal table, we've got some shelves with bowls on and whiteboards with lots of numbers written on, talking about the, the temperatures of the dough and what time they were mixed. And then we've got a sort of, something that looks a bit like a Dalek, which is actually the dough mixer. And it's got a big sort of cage to stop people getting stuck in it. And that's not, not on at the moment because all of the dough's already been mixed. We mix our dough during the day and then we put it into this big fridge behind us to chill overnight until one person comes in at sort of two o'clock in the morning and does the baking. So it takes four people, but a lot more people to mix it and then just one person to bake it. So that baking roll gets shared. So one person will bake sort of once a week. 
we deliver by bicycle so all of the bread goes into the room next door where it will get packed early in the morning into paper bags into the bicycle and then head off on lots of little small trips around East London I've like always dreamed of working at E5. Yeah, is that my dream job? I used to come in here and like stand at the as a customer and stand at the front and just like gawk at the ovens and um, yeah, I just think this place is is so inspirational. Like that, like, it's driven by this desire to like question like everything we do and how we can do it better. And so it's not just better bread, but like better for the planet and better for the people that, that eat it and it's always it's always questioning and, and innovating yeah the fact that we mill our own flour and I get to work with freshly milled flour every day is such a privilege yeah, I love it though really really love it and we get treated so well here like it's a real family community feeling like we all get to eat together at 12.30 we get to eat beautiful food that's like prepared with love and yeah it's really nice let me take you back to 2008, 2009. I was working for a big engineering firm and experiencing the corporate world of sustainability. I knew it wasn't somewhere I was going to settle for long. I was still sort of searching for something which felt real and purposeful. I was always interested in sort of environment, ecology, natural resources, but kept gravitating to these jobs where I'd be in front of a computer and I wasn't really sort of expending the energy I had actually and then a, fr a friend of my mum said oh maybe you're a, a maker do something with your hands and I thought great you know and I, I don't know I was just making a loaf of bread and I thought well maybe I could be a baker and um, I found a course to learn a bit about sourdough baking and, and a week later I came back to Hackney fired up and began knocking on a few local doors saying I'm a baker and offering loaves of bread to try. So this is 2010 and the reception was pretty positive. Maybe only half of the doors got slammed in my face or something. And so I thought, great. I was baking from home. I was baking in a wood-fired pizza oven on Leebridge Road. I was knocking dough up in a friend's basement. And I thought, okay, I really want to do this. This seems fun. I'm enjoying it. You know, I'm happy. And, you know, those three pounds that were put in my palm as I dropped off a loaf of bread just felt the best three pounds of my life. And so I thought, what if I'm going to do it? I really want to bake in a wood-fired oven. You know, that would be exciting. So I began researching how to build wood-fired ovens and, you know, looked at lots of different designs. But I hadn't found anywhere to build it. And then luckily, I got put in touch with somebody who had a gluten-free cake company in a railway arch on Mentmore Terrace. And she said, yes, you can rent a corner of my arch and put your oven there and make bread. In spring of 2010, we started building it. And by the summer, I was baking. And the idea was to bake two days a week. The ethos was always to make really ecologically, socially sound bread. So it's been an amazing team. You know, the, the bakery has very much been a collaborative process with the, the bakers, the, the pastry makers, the baristas, the, the office team who have kind of come together and kind of pulled ideas and created systems. And one of the great things about it is none of us were trained bakers. We kind of objectively didn't employ trained bakers because they brought too much dogma to it. So... It was a lot of hard work and we did things the long way around for a long time, but we created our own systems and with that kind of brought a lot of reward. But what's kept it really interesting is this sort of search for what really good bread is. And along with that, we're in this kind of community around here who really recognise social diversity and want to support a business that has a vested interest in its community. So 
as a sort of owner of the business, I really try and respect that and make sure that we are being as responsible as possible. And I think, you know, the team here, we're always looking for ways to better the business that we do. So we're just crossing through a, what they call a jack arch from one arch into another. And we never used to have this arch, um, but a few years ago we literally tunneled through and took it on. And it wasn't like a, a great ambition to get bigger, but there was one thing we really wanted to do, which was mill our own grains because by milling our own grains we got to have a lot more influence over where those grains are coming from. So we're trying to now support regenerative agricultural systems, farming systems that don't deplete the soil but build it up. And part of that is sort of knowing the farmer, knowing the soil. So previously our organic flour was coming from Kazakhstan and Germany and Australia and now we're working just with British farmers and local mills and milling ourselves on site so we wanted to mill ended up taking on an arch in order to do it and, and never really imagined quite where we were going with it but we're now very excited we've got this glass boxed off room with a granite stone mill with above it three 500 kilo hoppers filled with different varieties of wilt we've got spelt up there an old Danish variety called Liesbrunn and then we've got a big silo filled with another local wheat. At a flick of a switch, we can decide which grain we want to mill, and then we mill it very fresh. It comes off the mill and into the bread. So this is the mill house we're going into now. So the first thing you see is the mill, and then looking to the right, we've got our kind of shop and cafe, and down here's our, what we call our breakfast kitchen. So we've got Alice and Marcella, and they're just peeling lots and lots and lots of eggs. It's a huge undertaking. It's literally hundreds of boiled eggs that need to be peeled. And here's the backyard. Yeah, we sort of made ourselves at home out here a while ago. And uh, if we go this way, so we cross back along the arches, and so now we'll be just going past the back of where all the bread was being made. And then one more arch further on, somebody coming past my name is Mariana. I've been working at AFI for the last uh, three and a half years. I have done some baking as a baker and then I've moved to the pastry recently. It's, it's been amazing. It's really such a wonderful place to work. It's, we're creating every day. You just come to work with like, you know, always in good vibes and you just spend the whole day. And I really like the space as well. Like we were not cramped in a small kitchen, you know, like in a basement that we don't see daylight. So we always have the, the doors open. You know, you're not feeling like you're going to a prison instead of, you know, you're going to work and you're really enjoying it. We've been trying to work a bit more local, using the fruits in the summer. Also because we're milling our own flour. We milled some spelt. We're trying to develop some recipes using spelt. Also milled our own buckwheat flour. We're trying to develop some recipe with buckwheat. In 2011, we moved into the arch we're standing in. And three years later, we moved into the small pastry arch next door. And then three years ago, we moved into the larger arch, which we call the mill house. And so it's been this kind of gradual organic growth that hasn't been intentional. It's just been a sort of reaction to the community. So, you know... We had no intention to make lunches necessarily, but it just seemed common sense to cut the bread up and put some good cheese in between and make a pickle and, and serve it. And the same kind of with coffee and cakes. 
The cakes initially were brought in by local mums. We sort of got intrigued to make our own. One of our bakers was a pastry chef, so we sort of started playing around with that. And it's always been about making it interesting for the team and, and kind of challenging ourselves. Just kind of continues. Paolo is, you know, really into chocolate, so we're starting to make chocolate. Luke loves fermentation, so he's been making kombucha. Ed's really into coffee, so we opened a coffee roastery down the road. Lizzie's been able to get involved with a, a social bakery in um, the northeast, uh, run by refugees, and we, we've been working training refugees in bread making. But it's a platform here for all those involved to explore opportunities that are of interest to them and to make the company more interesting and diverse and sustainable. In this arch here would be a bit quiet because there's a bread class going on. So we teach people how to make sourdough. You know, there's so much to get from understanding how your food's made. So fortunately, a lot of people are waking up to that and, and people come along and, and spend the day and learn how to make bread and what goes into a really good loaf of bread. All of our bread's fermented just using wild yeast and bacteria, which means it's a lot more digestible and the nutrition is sort of more readily available. Simone's just out here brewing kvass, which is a very popular drink in Russia and Eastern Europe. It's made with old bread. So we take our leftover rye bread or wholemeal bread or barley porridge yeah, bread. Here is a, it's a good way to reuse all the bread that we might end up throwing away. Like now it's just finished fermenting, which is two days of fermentation, but after like one more week in the fridge, like it gets like much more like sourness going on. It was just one day with just so much bread left over, like it was piling through the roof, and so <laughs> I had to do something. <laughs> There's a very special energy coming into the bakery, and it's, it's partly the community of people are here, but it's very much the customers as well. It's that kind of like flow of people coming in, them looking at us making the bread, us looking at them buying the bread, you know, the music, the trains rumbling overhead. It's, it can't be recreated, you know. This is where we we've grown up this is where we are growing up this is where we're living you know it's it's a huge part of our lives and it takes space to to run a business like this and in central parts of london like this is very little space available so the idea of finding something equivalent is is almost impossible we really want to be with our community we don't want to be like making bread in a warehouse in you know ilford driving it in and flogging it in local corner shops no we want to be here talking to our customers about the product we're making and selling it directly to them you know everybody who works here tends to live really locally it's getting harder of course as rents go up but a lot of us do you know and it's now getting to the point that a lot of our customers kids are working here it's got to that stage that we're going full cycle and so you know we're a part of the community and um have to stay that way it's either it's either here or it's just just not happening you know If you want to find out more about the Guardians of the Arches, the campaign to save um, the businesses located in Britain's railway arches, head to guardiansoftharches.org.uk. You're listening to Eastcast on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Don't forget you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at Eastcast Show. And you can listen again to our interviews and music online on iTunes or Spotify if you search East Cast Show London and at eastcastshow.com. 
so we're taking Eastcast out of the studio again and into uh, a real live place <laughs> for another Eastcast Away. Um, Eastcast Away is a kind of curated open mic night for radio, podcasts and sound art. Basically, we get together in a cosy room with lots of cushions, have some drinks, light some candles and listen to lots and lots of really great audio from anyone who wants to submit it. Uh, this one is on Wednesday, October 24th at Set Space Dawston, which is at 27A Dawston Lane. Doors open at 7 and the show starts at 7.30 and you should come. And also we're still looking for audio, so if you have any audio, you should tell us about it and we can play it. Um, we'll share all the links to the event on Twitter and you can find it there. And see you on the 24th. And if you're not London-based, we do make a podcast yes. from all the audio that's played um, so you can listen as well you don't have to be in london um so now we promised some live music um so with us in the studio is uh ewan fisher who also goes under voltage black his current moniker how are you hi hi how are you doing not too bad thank you um so i thought we could just listen to something and then talk after yeah sure okay cool so what are you what are you going to play okay the first song i'm going to play is called calcium and okay. it's from an album that i released about two weeks ago um and it doesn't really sound like this on the album but i've done a kind of keyboard arrangement of it so yeah and i think that's better because it's you know it's we're not this just is, reproducing this is what special, yeah. yes exactly yeah. well, we'll see how it goes <laughs> yes so. all right go for it
calcium drains away and the calcium drains away and the calcium drains away calcium drains away calcium drains away and the calcium drains away and the calcium drains away us a bit by surprise there by surprise <laughs> yeah just the end was like, oh, oh right so into it. <laughs> yeah yeah right good um so that was that was calcium that was calcium that was calcium um and this is voltage black aka ewan fisher um th- this isn't the first alias you've had you've done made music under yeah i've been making music for years oh, do you want me to switch your crazy <laughs> oh yeah sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i've been making music for quite a long time and um, Voltage Black has been around for quite a long time. So the album that I just released, I've been working on for a number of years. I'd rather not disclose. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've done various singles and I've released with um, a band called Standard Planets. And we've worked with some kind of really interesting people with that project as well. It's really, uh, yeah, and Os is another one I do. So I kind of have a few different things going on and I kind of pick one up and then finish it and then pick another one up and finish that. And it's... And the, are they all quite distinct? Are they all... The, yeah. Those are kind of, yes. Yeah, they right. are quite distinct, yeah. So we did a lot of collaborations with um, Standard Planets. We worked with Ian Sinclair, the author, a guy called Harold Grosskopf, who's an old synth kind of pioneer. And, um, and then the Ost one is where I kind of like... kind of um, exercise my kind of love for techno and house and stuff like that. So I do like just beat-led kind of things. But I can never quite settle on one thing to keep the momentum going and is voltage black is, is this the the only alias where you sing or do you yeah sing? yeah well, i do a bit of singing with standard planets as well mm. but that's um that's kind of been on hiatus for a bit but we'll be starting again soon hopefully so you released uh this album yes a couple of weeks two ago. weeks ago um congratulations thank you yeah and um, it's called the the curve of the earth is with you that's right yeah. yes yeah um yeah, released on the 21st of September and we did a, like a, an album launch for it at New River Studios, which was really fun, oh, put nice. a band together. So this, what I'm doing today is quite stripped back, but with the actual album itself is very kind of maximal, plays a lot with kind of overload and, you know, 
how much stuff can be going on at once. It's really like kitchen sink sort of kitchen sinks of affair. So uh, with a live band, we had a drummer, we had a couple of singers and bass player, and it was all just quite raucous. And is this a digital release, or is there also like vinyl? And, yeah, so yeah. it's digital at the moment. Um, there is a campaign to try and get a vinyl pressed, but because it's so expensive, we want to sell pre-orders first. So there's a crates page that's spelt with a Q. Um, where you can kind of pledge, and if you don't, if we don't reach the target, then nobody gets charged. It's all fine. If we do, then we make some vinyl, and that'd be really nice. But let's see what happens. Should we hear another track? Yeah. <clears throat> okay, so this one is new, and it's not on the album. So I'm not sure how it's going to go, to be honest. But let's see. Um, it's called it's called Clairvoyancy Found Me on New Year's Day. Death 
but sharpens in focus as time surges Voltage Black. And what was that one called again? That was called Clairvoyancy Found Me on New Year's Day. I knew I wasn't going to remember that. (laughs) Um, So just to remind everyone, tell us where they can download the album, they can find you, um, all that that stuff. Um, I guess primarily you can find the album on Bandcamp because if you buy it there, then all the money goes to me as opposed to iTunes or whatever. Or Spotify, just go to Spotify. Yeah. Well, you, we, we want people to buy people it. People don't buy downloads anymore. We all know that. Well, yeah, Spotify is good. Yeah. Okay, so Voltage Black on Spotify, yeah. and we will hear a final track. Uh, yeah. But mm-hmm. actually, what we'll find on the album exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. We'll we'll end the show on that. Cool. Thank you. Thank Ewan. you so much for having me. Uh, now I'm going to give a shout out to another event that I'm involved in. It's on the 26th of October. I'm helping to run an internet radio station for the night at the Museum of London. Um, London at night is a unique place. Uh, it's very, di- it's a virtually different city. So we are giving it its own municipal council. And the late event at the Museum of London is going to be the night London council open evening. Uh, we're imagining London at night as a separate city and introducing it to the denizens of the daytime. Uh, so the actual event is a mix of loads of different performances and speeches. Um, and what I'll be doing on the night is helping to run a live radio show that accompanies the performances. I'll, I'll post details about that on East Coast Twitter and how to tune into the radio show. But in the run-up, I've been making a series of podcasts. Um, so I'm just going to play a little clip from one now. Sleep for me personally has never, ever been an issue because of the physical side of our job. So come the evening when you get home, you are shattered. And I tend to drop... Once I've gotten into bed, my head will hit the pillow in less than 30 seconds and I'll be asleep, and a deep sleep. And it's, I think that's part of our job because it's so physically exerting. Even when you're climbing around on the ceilings, if the cable was to stop for five minutes, you would lay yourself down and literally just fall asleep for four or five minutes, but a slumber so that you would hear if anybody says, ready, and you're ready to go again. Um, so sleep's been instantaneous whether that's a healthy way of sleeping or not I don't know but it seems to have worked for us for years and we're I think pretty much all of us are the same we fall asleep instantly and get some good deep sleep it may only be five five hours but I kind of think we are getting good healthy sleep 
So that was just a little clip from a new podcast series I'm making, which is about people who work in London at night. So that was Paul, who's an electrician. And on the series, there's loads of other people like nurses and bus drivers and drag queens. Uh, so I'll be sharing a few more clips from that as the series comes out. Brilliant. Thank you. So it's time for us to say goodbye. Eastcast will be back soon on Resonance 104.4 FM with more sounds and stories from East London and beyond. In the meantime, you can find everything on eastcastshow.com. And to play us out is St. Elmo by Voltage Black. So thanks for listening and join us again next month on Eastcast. <laughs>